Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Pits have been jumped, walls have been scaled, and spikes have been avoided up until this moment. Indiana Jones caught wind of a stolen relic in the heart of an ancient underground fortress in Central America. Reaching the Central Command Chamber, Indy marvels at a brass mask bejeweled with emeralds and diamonds, dating back centuries clearly worth a fortune. He marvels further as the mask is picked up and held aloft by a scarecrow? Indy drops down and cracks his whip to get the straw man's attention. Scarecrow just turns sharply in a way that makes Indy feel unnerved. Indy barks out, that belongs in a museum. Scarecrow laughs menacingly and then just utters, if you want this stranger, just come and take it from me. It's Captain Dynamite versus Professor Rance. It's Junior versus Shrocken. It's Indiana Jones versus Scarecrow. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Cavsey, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stacanus. Today's battle is another example of an epic universe crossover that we all wish would somehow make it to live action. In one corner, you have Indiana Jones, an iconic adventurer who is used to overcoming great odds versus the Scarecrow, one of Batman's most insidious enemies who is a master at bringing your deepest fears to life. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this matchup has been discussed. And this one actually really surprised me. I really thought this matchup would have been discussed in geek circles. I don't know a lot kind of makes sense but i couldn't find it like no mention of this battle before it was crazy so as surprising as this may sound we are yet again bringing you the legion of audience another premier never before discussed geek culture battle you're welcome ray what are your thoughts on this matchup i love this matchup i'm still amped about sergeant slaughter on the fourth of july i'm not gonna lie if you haven't listened to that episode Stop this one right now. People came on social media immediately after we released that episode. And James, you were there. Top five all-time episode of the Who Would Win show. Can I also add, we've heard that a lot this season. It seems like people's top five episodes all time now pretty much only consist of episodes from season five of the Who Would Win show and now just bump each other off as we do more of them. It's almost like the show has completely come into its own. That's why we don't need seasons one and two anymore. The point I'm trying to make is Indiana Jones has a new movie out. So of course we're going to give him a redemption match. It would be cruel to not give a character as iconic 
as Indiana Jones, A Chance at Redemption, when his final movie drops, but also The Scarecrow, a guy I've been wanting to get on the show for a little bit now, another one of Batman's villains. There's a lot of these Batman villains we have yet to see, and so let's get him done. This matchup makes a lot of sense if you really start turning the screws on it. You know, I got to agree with you. Last week's episode, you know, Sergeant Slaughter versus Chewbacca, where I was repping Chewbacca, was absolutely insane. It was the first time for me, never before did I have to debate the judge who also was acting as the other debater for the character I was battling. Oh, you're still playing that violin, are you? Uh, It was absolutely the most insane thing I've got. I had to go up against the judge who was debating also for Sergeant Slaughter. Genius tactics on his part to be the judge as well as the debater. I think Ray was there somewhere in the corner having snacks. I don't know, but Here's the thing. It was a great thing. And then social media erupted. I got called out by Sergeant Slaughter, not once, but twice. And then I responded to tweets and became those things kind of went nuts as they sometimes do. Look, I was already kind of having a good name on Twitter. And then I got a whole bunch of new followers and people were saying, I didn't agree. I did. Whatever. It was awesome. And I had to tell them, just wait for the next episode. So this week, the fans didn't take to me. I wasn't Mr. Popularity, something I wasn't used to. So, Ray, you're used to this. How do you deal with this in life? being the person that people don't like. Outrate. First off, let me tell you one thing. The cream rises to the top, and that's how I see the five percenters, the Rainiacs, the hashtag awkward allies out there in our audience. Because let's face facts, James, 95% of our audience are morons. They are the dumbest people to walk this earth. The only smart thing they do on a weekly basis is listen to me on this show. And of those folks, 5% get it. 5% listen. 5% have critical thinking skills. So what I will tell you is, James, if the entire masses have turned on you, maybe they're finally figuring it out. Maybe the 5% suddenly hit 80%. It's your worst nightmare come true, which is everybody suddenly realizing that I'm the great hero of this show and you are also there. What I'm trying to say, James, is that when I get flack on social media, I can identify very, very quickly that it's coming from an idiot. And when I recognize that person lacks critical thinking skills, that that person probably, you know, uh, doesn't have great relationships in their lives, and I realize how sad they are in their day-to-day operations... And I think to myself, you're Ray, you're so much better than these people. You don't really owe them the time of day. Move on with your life after, you know, posting clown images or whatever you feel like doing. The answer, James, is to laugh them off for they don't matter. But I know you can't do that because they matter so deeply to you. Yeah, I didn't listen to that last part. So the first two tips were gold. You said, call our audience morons. Interesting. And then say, call people who disagree with you on social media idiots. So that I've been doing it differently. Yeah. I love I love our audience. They're fantastic. And when someone disagrees, I say, "Interesting. Why do you disagree? Tell me what I'm missing." So I get it. Pull a race to Canis. Yeah, James, you can boil you can boil that down to just tell the truth. <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm just wondering if this has anything to do with some of our sponsors pulling out. Okay, listen. Let's talk about something that we can all agree on. Something or someone that unifies you and I, that unifies the Who Would Win production, that unifies the Legion of Audience and the Who Would Win show as a whole. And that's our, ne- our next uh, guest judge because he is that great. So making another appearance on the Who Would Win show, it's actor and comedian extraordinaire, the host of the Own Every Word game show. You know who I'm talking about. It's Matthew Harris. Matthew, welcome back to Who Would Win. I am so glad to be back. I am so glad to be back today and so glad 
for this particular match. I mean, I, I really can't tell you. Just to let you both know, I mean, let's 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 put it all out there. I know that hosting who would win is considered rare air. There's not a lot of us that get to do it. And listening to the show, which I do, uh, there's a lot of judges who've come on here and have really expressed just how important this role is. I mean, you, you have some very high up, I would say, uh, highfalutin even, industry talent that comes in here and they tell you, you know what, forget my accolades. They say, forget my resume, forget any of these projects that we're all Indeed 8 up on and we can't talk about. What do they want to talk about? What is the, the, the feather in their cap? What's the jewel in their crown? Host of who would win. I, I'm hyped to be here. I'm taking this very seriously. And also, Batman is one of my top three uh, all-time favorite comic book personas. So I'm very deeply versed in that lore. and. I'm such a big Indiana Jones fan that I am not kidding. Literally what my family did once we got home after hanging with other family was we had ourselves an Indiana Jones marathon. So I, I mean, am primed for today. It was fate that I be here. I mean, it was fate. There, There's no surprise to me that the fans react uh, so well to you when you're on the show. Um, and that's because you just bring it. You bring the research, you bring the logic, and you bring the understanding of both characters and how they'd interact. And you kind of see uh, all the points that Ray and I bring to the table. Now, before we get into today's matchup, tell the Legion of Audience, of course, re respecting your NDAs, what you've been up to lately. Uh, let's see. So what I've been up to lately is a whole lot of live performances and comedy. Uh, you know, for many of you out there know, and for some of you who may not be all up in this sh showbiz biz, there is a writer strike going on. So a lot of things really aren't happening. And there's a pending strike from the actors union that could be going on. So there's a lot of things that have kind of been on hold. I've maybe been to a couple of, uh, uh commercial auditions, but mostly, uh, just getting out there, performing some sketch comedy at UCB here in LA. I love it. Okay, so wait a minute, hold you know on. You're, you're you're burying the lead, Matthew Harris, because there's a very important role that you'll be playing that people will be listening are we, to. Are we allowed to talk about that before the end of summer? Because you are a featured cast member of episode six of Reclaim Detroit. The that Vampire is, the Masquerade audio drama. Coming see, out before the end of summer. You know what? I, see, I'm so used to signing things. I, I just, I, I assume silence on everything until the project is announced. But added, yes, we can talk about that. Yes, I am coming. Alexander is coming back and he's bringing it. I, I, all, all I, got, I am so hyped for this new season that's coming out. For those of you who know the story, it's going to pick up. It's going to take off. And for those of you who wondered, what are they talking about? What do you mean? What's going to pick up and what's going to take off? You can find out right now by listening to Reclaim Detroit, wherever you get your podcast. That's right. And you've read, you've read episode six. You know exactly what's going to happen. If Absolutely. you were to pick one word to describe that episode, what would be the word that you choose? I would choose the word bodacious. That's a great word. I'm just going to let that simmer right yeah, there. I like it, that. It's, it's like got that. a little bit of everything. I, I, see, but there's other too many words. There's action. There's intrigue. There's mystery. There's reveal. You're giving too much away. See, this is why I sign NDAs. All right. But bodacious. I love it. You're involved in so many great things. And that is a great uh, podcast. Legion of Audience, of course. You should definitely check that out if you haven't already. And look. 
it is time for us to get to this debate and sell it once for all and just get this party started. So with all that being said, Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Action Cinema, the archaeologist who was enraged at the casting of Star Trek The Next Generation's Commander Riker. He was quoted as saying, Frakes, why'd it have to be Frakes? Indiana Jones. And representing DC Comics, the psychologist who isn't afraid of a little fire, Scarecrow. Well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a who would win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the who would win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. All right, Ray, there's a lot of great versions of the Scarecrow out there. My personal favorite is from the animated series, of course, from the 90s starring Kevin Conroy Batman. What version? Of Scarecrow, will you be using? I today? really, I really thought you were going to say New Fifty Two version. You're usually so up on those. Oh I will gosh. say the comic book version of Scarecrow. Surprise! All right, I will be using Indiana Jones and everything that's within canon of Indiana Jones. Because remember, he's got some comic books, some novels, all good stuff. All of that which is within canon will yeah. be used. Don't in drop my the ball using those again, James. <laughs> Uh, you're referring to our previous judge who's like, hey, I only saw the movies. I don't accept that there's comics you or got, cartoons. You got to give him examples, James. I hope you brought some this time because you didn't last time. I used specific examples. All right, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack is directly made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. Rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to leave the Who Would Win Show a five-star rating and a fantastic written review wherever you download and listen to podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is summertime, and that means get-togethers. It means swimsuit weather, and HelloFresh has got you covered. Why don't you make your home the hangout place this summer with crowd-pleasing eats from a backyard bratwurst bar to tangy key lime pie, HelloFresh Market makes summer entertaining a cinch for you. And let's face it, you want to eat well this summer, right? If you're going to be showing off your body, potentially. Well, HelloFresh's menu features calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options, plus new vegan dinners to choose from as well, so you get some variety. HelloFresh makes it easy to reach your food goals with flavorful recipes that leave you feeling satisfied. And let's say, for example, you want dinner fast. You could just get it delivered, but let's face facts, that's not always fast, is it? But you can think of HelloFresh. With their fast and fresh recipes, they're going to be ready in just 15 minutes or less. Plus, HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout. What's the deal? 
I've used HelloFresh in the past. I enjoy getting a box of meals sent to me because I like going on the website or the app or however you choose to do it, right? And I like to go on there and I like to look through all the meals. And HelloFresh has a ton of meals to pick from. And I like to pick things that I've never made before, right? I like to pick dishes that blow my mind. Like I look at the picture and I say, I don't know how I could possibly make that. I can't even conceive of what that is. And then I order it and then I do it. And that's the way that you help improve yourself, right? Improve your knowledge base. Reach out with food. It's possible with HelloFresh. I will speak to that myself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash WWW50 and use code WW50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That is HelloFresh.com slash WWW50 using code WW50 for 50% off plus free shipping. It's a great deal for some great food with America's number one meal kit. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Scarecrow. Scarecrow is a top-level psychologist-turned-fear-based criminal in the world of DC Comics. He was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and first appeared in World's Finest Comics number 3 back in 1941. But it was Batman number 189 in 1967 where writer Gardner Fox and artist Sheldon Moldoff molded the character into the one we know today. Jonathan Crane is both a professor of psychology at Gotham University as well as having a job inside of Arkham Asylum. Using his fear-inducing gas, he conducts experiments on others to expand his knowledge of the science of fear. Scarecrow grew up with a deep fear of bats, so his use of the toxin against Batman is one that we could psychoanalyze for years to come. Fun fact, interest in the Scarecrow peaked when he first appeared in all three Nolan Dark Knight movies, right? But did you know that Scarecrow actor Cillian Murphy wasn't first considered for that role? You may be surprised to hear that Murphy first auditioned for the role of Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy. Now that would have made for a very different series. And honestly, as great as I think Cillian is... I'm going to take Mr. Christian Bale every time instead. Sorry, fam. That is Scarecrow. I got to agree. I think Christian Bale pulled off a, a great version of Batman, but it would have been interesting to see nonetheless. All right. Now, here are the details for Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was created by George Lucas and first appeared in Raiders of the Lost Ark back in 1981. Renowned archaeologist, professor, and Nazi hater Indiana Jones was born to medieval history professor Henry Jones and his wife Anna. Indy spent much of his youth traveling the world with his father before his mother died of scarlet fever. Indy, growing restless in his teenage years, joined up with Pancho Villa for a short time before enlisting in the Belgian army to fight in World War I. After returning from the war, Indy enrolled in the University of Chicago, got his degree in archaeology, and secured a job as a professor at Marshall College. Despite being a gifted professor, Indiana Jones continued his adventures and put his world-class archaeological skills to the test numerous times to uncover some of the world's greatest secrets, as well as defeating the forces of evil trying to find them. And here's an interesting fact about Indiana Jones. Did you know that there's a strong fan theory that explains the Star Wars connection in the Indiana Jones movies? 
it's true, maybe, kind of, somehow. So, as many of us know, there are many connections to Star Wars in the actual Indiana Jones films. The bar in the Temple of Doom at the beginning of the movie is named Obi-2 instead of Obi-1. There are hieroglyphics showing R2-D2 and C-3PO on the side of an ancient wall in a pyramid. And the golden small statue of the fertility idol, also from Raiders of the Lost Ark, was something that Han Solo noticed and walked by at the end of the Solo standalone film. So why are these things in the Star Wars universe showing up in the Indiana Jones films? Well, one fan theory that's gotten some interesting momentum is that the life and adventures of Indiana Jones... All of it is some kind of dream or hallucination, part of Han Solo's active imagination while he's encased in carbonite between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I'm not saying I agree, but it's clearly undeniable that there's some type of connection between these two universes. By the way, additional fun fact, the planet Earth actually does exist. It's a ruined planet and it's kind of desolate, but there is a planet Earth in the greater Star Wars universe. That's crazy. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Matthew, do you have any questions before we get started? I don't have any questions. And not that this sways my decision one way or another, but one fun fact I have about Indiana Jones that relates directly to me, uh, because that's, of course, what I'm interested in right now, is that the college that he taught in, the scenes of the uh, college classroom, were shot in my hometown of Stockton, California, at the University of the Pacific. There's a little fun fact. Wow. I'm more impressed that you're from Stockton, uh, the home of Nate and Nick Diaz from, uh, you know, that is true. fame. That wow. is true. That is crazy. Wow. Okay. Of all the places. That's amazing. All right. It's time to get down to brass tacks. Ray, hit us with point number one. Point number one for the Scarecrow. Let's just talk about his physical stats a little bit as well as his genius intellect and nerve, because there are two characters in this particular fight. You've got Indiana Jones, the rough, tough, you know, school teacher, versus Scarecrow, the rough, tough school teacher. This is a battle of teacher versus teacher. So you gotta, you gotta, first off, I just want to say both these men should be paid more. Let me go on the record first and just put that, uh, put that out there in the world. Now, Scarecrow doesn't feel any fear at this point. By the time he gets to the point when we'd be talking about him, Scarecrow has used so much fear toxin and had it used on himself and been around it and used it on others, he really doesn't need a rebreather at this point. Because not only does the fear toxin not work on him, he's numb to feeling any fear or quite honestly, anything at all, right? This is a character who goes up against the Dark Knight on a day-to-day basis, right? And Dark Knight's whole deal is making criminals fear him. And he uses fear himself and makes it work. That means that he is a master at manipulation. He's a master at getting people to do what he wants and feel the way he wants them to feel. And that's without even using the fear toxin at all. He knows how to scare people, right? Durability-wise, he's a character who has tanked hits from Batman, Catwoman as well. And we remember Catwoman, she was able to physically defeat three Flashes at the same time just by sticking her legs out. So if you could defeat a Flash in one shot like that, and Scarecrow can tank hits from this impressively physical character... And Batman, too, he's also there. You gotta think he could take a couple hits from Indiana Jones without going down. He also often wields a knife. 
as well as a scythe. In fact, he's seen carrying farm equipment all the time, and he uses it as sort of a grim reaper, scary jeepers creepers kind of a character, and this causes fear in other people. Indiana Jones will feel fear. We'll get to that in my point number two. But Indiana Jones isn't a character who's walking around not scared of things and not scared of what's going to happen to him. So if Scarecrow can flip that switch and he can find a way to do it, he's going to be in the heavy, advantageous position against Indiana Jones because also he's a genius. I like Indiana Jones. He's not a genius. He's, he's not dumb, but Scarecrow is a master strategist as well as a manipulator. This is a guy who, using psychology, drove two men to off themselves just by talking to them, just by figuring out where those points were, and then he drove them to commit the final horrible act upon themselves. And chemistry-wise, I remember Walter White, when he was in the RV, being a master chemist, being attacked by two men with weapons, and he was able to just use the chemistry around him to create a gas on the fly to take both of them out and surprise them. These are the kind of attacks that Scarecrow could get, but Indiana Jones does like to talk to his opponents, and I believe using psychology, Scarecrow can get those first digs in on Indy and bring him to his knees very quickly, and that's my point number one. All right. I, I love where Ray is going with this, especially because whatever version of Scarecrow this is, I hope to see it someday in print and comic books, possibly in live action, maybe in animated form, maybe in a video game. I don't know, but I don't I'm not familiar with this version of Scarecrow because it doesn't exist. Let me explain why. First of all, it's not teacher versus teacher. It's professor versus professor. In martial arts, it's real important to get your teaching professor, your your terms correct when you're saying this. It's professor versus professor. That's number one. Number two, Scarecrow actually is not immune to his toxins. His latest batch of toxins actually really affected him badly. It turned him mad for quite some time, uh, or insane, if I if you will. Don't know where he is right now in the mind thing, but again, he's not 100% immune to his toxins, but I don't know if that's really going to affect him in this battle. Uh, he does suffer from a severe a severe form of anxiety that you know is partly what drives him to make these elaborate plans when he has the time to do so, but he's not immune to the psychology that Ray's talking about. And Scarecrow doesn't carry a scythe with him as part of his regular, you know, equipment that he has. Again, it's a random encounter in a neutral location, no time to prepare. You don't have time to bring everything you have. It's whatever you have on you typically. A scythe is not something he carries around. That's a huge farming implement, not something he does. Uh, that's about all I gotta say for that. Let me get to my point number one. I can't and wait to hear what you think Indy carries with him on a day-to-day -day basis, because we about to go a crazy town i have a feeling well that's more your territory in life and with this version of scarecrow whichever version this may be but hey, my point number james, one i want you to know insanity gets stuff done in the absolute wrong way possible all right point number one for me, it does. It really is. What does Indiana Jones bring to the table, and what can he do? So let's talk about Indiana's main weapons. Look, we've seen him. He's got an eight-foot-long bullwhip. He uses that as a great weapon against adver adversaries. He's so good at using that. He can use it for crazy feats. He can use it to help, you know, pull levers from a distance, grab onto people's arms with it. He can use it as a rope to swing across large uh, distances. That's really cool. Indy also has his pistol, which is a revolver. He also has a knife, two knives actually, one on him, another one that he has hidden in his boot. It's a Mark Seven British gas mask bag that y'all also has on his, as a pouch with him. I think that's where he keeps his gun. He sometimes has binoculars, wire cutters, a lighter, a flashlight. None of that's going to come into effect in this fight, but he does get to carry some cool stuff. At one point, it's just more of a fun, fun fact, he had aluminum powder. It's an old school 
them used to help with immunizations, can stop certain cuts from bleeding. I don't think he's got that on him, and I don't think he's going to need it for too much for this fight. Now, he's super skilled with all the weapons he does carry on him at all times, especially his pistol. He's a master marksman. At 10 years old, he was taught how to shoot by Theodore Roosevelt. That's pretty cool. He's got, I'd say, above average agility, which is way better than what uh, Scarecrow's got. He's got way above average endurance. Speaking of endurance, he can hold his breath for like three minutes, which adjusted for 2023 is like 20 minutes. I'm kidding. It's three minutes. That's still pretty cool. He's so fast that at one point in one of the books, he outran a tiger and he just, I think he more outmaneuvered a tiger, which is really cool. He's dodged gunfire and pitched darkness on pure instant because he's just been fired at a whole lot. He's skilled in a whole lot of the ways. He avoided a shower of arrows when they were shot at him. We saw that when he's running away from them. He even, in one of the books, caught a knife thrown at him by an assassin. He caught the knife using his feet. That is insane. Again, I don't think that's going to be a big deal in this, but it's just a cool thing to do. His fighting style is really cool. It's been described, and as, again, I've quoted this before, a Captain Kirk style of fighting that is half scientific brawling and half martial arts blended into a system that enables him to take out powerful opponents in ortho- unorthodox ways, which means he's unpredictable when he fights and he can accomplish big things and overtake really crazy cool opponents. He does have a genius level IQ, which should be obvious due to his pursuit of all that archaeological knowledge, but he also has a genius EQ. This is what's important. This means he can decipher people's intent. He has to figure out what people are thinking when, you know, if he ever gets captured and then he's got to keep someone talking so he can understand where they're coming from, where someone placed a trap, where an ancient civilization may have placed something and how to decipher something. He's always got to think about what people are thinking and understand them. But he's really strong for his size. He's flipped over a stone coffin. He's pulled chains apart. He pushed a large boat described as needing a giant to move it. Just means it was a big boat. He was able to push down a giant statue bridge as well using his legs. Uh, he overpowers this character, you know, Amola Ram. That was the main uh, villain from, uh, I believe, Temple of Doom. And this is someone who can rip people's hearts out. That's pretty cool. Uh, he pulled himself back onto a plane mid-flight. And that's insanely hard to do. But there's more. He's wrestled alligators. He wrestled hippos. He fights and beats Ismailius assassins who are the Middle Eastern equivalent of ninjas. He easily beat two swordsmen at once with his bare hands, took on a bulletproof fire-breathing dragon. Eh, I'm not so sure about that one. That's in a, in a book. He fought an army of Atlantean giants. That's in a book. But he did fight a giant octopus underwater and won again in a book. I'm just saying he's got some cool feats in books that are considered canon. Not sure we should lean on him, but it's just some fun stuff. Look, there's a lot of stuff out for Indiana Jones. He's awesome, but I'm just getting started with the good stuff. All of that is my point number one. I am so glad that Disney purchased the rights to Indiana Jones uh, because much like Star Wars, it can finally turn these fan fiction books and turn them into non-canon with the flick of a wrist because that's really what needs to happen. He's wrestling alligators and tigers and fighting a fire-breathing dragon. Let's face facts, that's not the Indiana Jones that I know. That is pure Chewbacca died when a planet's collided on the spot where he was standing level of silliness. Now, before we do anything else, you, you attacked my version of Scarecrow, which unfortunately for you, James, is the real one. Because Scarecrow, very well known in the comics, I'm surprised you'd even argue it, has formed an immunity to fear. It's not that he is immune to the toxins per se, but the toxins create fear, a thing that he no longer is capable of. In fact, he's depressed over the fact that he can no longer feel fear or any real sensation like that in his life. Uh, which is why that Yellow Lantern story happened and it was awesome. But also, you talk about another thing, because Crane once suffered from a fear of crows after being attacked by crows in his family aviary, but he overcame that fear and is often seen with a crow named Craw at his side as a familiar companion, okay? 
which means that, you know, you talk about, oh, he's not immune to all these things. I've given you specific examples where, of course, yes, he is. And Indy, you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about, James, wasn't seen in the movies, a.k.a. what we actually know about Indiana Jones. You're having to reach a little deep to a version once again because what you have on the surface level isn't there. You got to pull and hope a judge is feeling this very, uh, you know... Is it canon? I don't know. This is teetering when he's fighting fire-breathing dragons. You're going to have to convince a judge for a second week in a row of nonsense that really shouldn't be there. I think all we have to do is ask, you can ask that about my point number one, but also about yours as well. All right. Matthew Harris, you've heard one point from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far with this battle? All right. So you're starting off great here. I'm really uh, liking what I'm hearing about the way you're establishing both characters, uh, be it calling them teacher to teacher, professor to pres- uh, professor to professor, I would say doctor to doctor, uh, as it is both Dr. Crane and Dr. Jones. Sure. As we're looking at it right now, I do have a couple of questions before I go ahead and, and I want to clarify a couple of things before I make a so far ruling right here. So... James, for Indiana Jones, uh, you were mentioning his weapons, you were mentioning things that he, he, you know, is known to carry and stuff like that. Now, when you talked about his pouch, that, that whole stuff, now, you said that was a, it's a gas mask bag, or it is, is it a gas mask itself? What, what's, what's the, what is that? It's a gas, it's a standard issue gas mask bag from World War One, which he uses to carry stuff. I'm sure okay. there was at one point a gas mask in it from World War One. Not sure how effective that would be in present day usage of gas attacks and what have you. Sure. But um, I do not, I'm not going to state that he's got a gas mask in it right now. We've never seen a gas mask in that bag. And, uh, I actually what? have one question for James I need some clarity on. You talked about the Indiana Jones books. Are you referring to the Find Your Fate, Choose Your Own Adventure novels that came out around Indiana Jones back in the 1980s? No. So there were a series, there's a whole bunch of different types of books for Indiana Jones. And there were some that came out that were more for like a a kid-friendly audience. These are, the books I mentioned are more for, I believe these came out late 80s, early 90s, or at least after the last Crusade movie, that were more for, I don't know, an older, maybe a teenage audience and up, because there's a lot of references to killing and death. I mean, there's also a lot of references to killing and death in actual Indiana Jones movies. So no big deal there. Okay, sure. so I, I can tell you from, from what I'm seeing right now, it's pretty even. I, I You know, it's pretty even as we're starting off here. I say they're looking pretty even. That's kind of normal for the Who Would Win show because we're both kind of just throwing out jabs right now. But round two is where some crosses, maybe some uh, heavy artillery is going to come out. Let's see about that. Ray, hit us with your point number two. Point number two and where things become crystal clear is we're going to talk about the fear toxins. This is Scarecrow's bread, but also his butter at the same time. Now, of course, we all know the fear toxins, but if you don't or if you need a reminder, he's created a poison gas that if it's inhaled or even if it hits your skin, it can be absorbed through just skin contact in later versions. It causes you to experience the worst fear imaginable to you. And let's face facts. We all know if you've seen any Indiana Jones movies, what his worst fear is, and that is snakes. Snakes everywhere. If Indiana Jones saw the movie Snakes on a Plane, he would have a seizure because that would be too much for his heart to take. 
That's how Caesars work. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that he's been working with fear gas for a very, very long time. The first fear gas that he ever made was back in college, and it was impure. It was not perfected. But now the version of Scarecrow that came later has perfected the fear gas where you don't need a whole heck of a lot of it. It can hit you with the skin and get it absorbed. And it causes you to freak the bleep out, right? He's also created other toxins, though. He is a master of chemistry. He created steroids. He created a fancy steroid that he injected himself with, allowing him to match up physically with Batman. He also uh, wears, and this is kind of wild, some of his gear... He created a Freddy Krueger glove. There's no other way to say this. They ripped off Freddy Krueger for the Scarecrow and gave him a a glove with needles on it that he can inject or spray fear gas from, right? Uh, Whether it's a toxin, a gas, whatever he needs to. And this is based on the uh, glove design from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. If you don't know that movie, it's maybe, maybe the best one of the nightmare. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is he also carries a series of other weapons to get this gas into your system. He has a gas gun much like Darkwing Duck, quite honestly, that he's often seen toting around. But he's also used fear toxin darts uh, in order to stick people and even had a fake tooth that he breaks the tooth off and it shoots out fear toxin at the person who's standing too close to him. Now, this fear gas, it could do a variety of effects, right? I said it could make you experience your worst fear, but how that manifests depends on the formula. Sometimes it makes you see a thing and it paralyzes you with fear, right? You just are unable to move. You're done. You're incapacitated right there. Two minutes, no problem. He hits Indiana Jones with a fear toxin. It incapacitates him with fear, putting him in the fetal position. That's fine. But he could also use it to enrage his enemy, which causes him to fight like a little beyond himself, taking too many bad chances and allows him to defeat him hand-to-hand combat just like that. It could also create illusions to the victim who sees what he doesn't want to see and causes him to run away or fight against shadows while Scarecrow picks him off. Let me talk about the people real quick who have been hit by this. Bronze Tiger, Tim Drake Robin, Catwoman, Lex Luthor, and Batman, of course, have all succumbed to the fear toxin before. So I don't believe Indiana Jones is so special that a thing that affected Batman several times suddenly wouldn't affect him as well. But I would also point out two characters I was surprised who got affected by the toxin. The Joker, who you think wouldn't be scared of things, he was affected by it and knocked into the fetal position, but also Superman. Superman is a character who got hit by a gas bomb that Scarecrow landed, and when the Scarecrow finally came up on Superman, he was in the fetal position in a corner, not wanting to answer the bell. And I'm sorry, but if this thing can drop Superman, this thing can easily drop Mr. Jones. And that's my point number two. Well, let me let me correct some things here stated by the um, I'm going to use air quotes honorable race to Canis. Now, first of all, Deeply in terms honorable. of in in terms of fear toxins that Scarecrow carries on him at any one time, remember it's a neutral occasion. No time to prepare. No knowledge of the opponent is about to face. Here's the thing: he definitely has some type of fear toxin weapon and delivery system on him. I will give him that for sure. In terms of all of the exotic ways that Ray suggested. Uh uh-uh. uh, he's probably got one, maybe two ways to send a fear toxin. That's what he has on him at all times. If you ever get to something a little bit more elaborate, that's because the scarecrow planned something ahead of time using prior knowledge to do it. That's how he could put kryptonite into his fear toxin to affect Superman. 
Joker, for example, his big fear, fun fact, was that Batman wouldn't remember him anymore and he would just be forgotten by Gotham City. That's what was Joker's real fear. Kind of cool. In terms of how this is going to affect Indiana Jones, there's something really interesting about the chronology of the first three films in the Indiana Jones franchise. So you got to remember, Raiders of the Lost Ark was the first film that came out, but it was actually taking place after Temple of Doom. So what happened in Temple of Doom? Well, in that one, surprise, surprise, he gets you know this mind control thing where the main villain kind of takes over his mind for a short time and then he overcomes it. And then when he falls into that pit of snakes and his fear of snakes come to, you know, comes to light, he's not paralyzed with fear. No, he immediately is able to do what? Use his determination and willpower to still navigate and get what he needs to get done and overcome his fear of snakes. Just put that aside. Not saying he didn't like it or didn't love it, but he just absolutely put it aside and is like, I got to get this done. I'll overcome it and I'll do it. Those two things are why this fear toxin is not going to work on Indiana Jones in the exact way that Scarecrow thinks it will because he's already been affected by this kind of stuff. He's already have a slight tolerance. He's already been used to this feeling. All right, now let me get to my point number two. And in my point number two, let's talk about Indiana Jones' ability for quick thinking and resourcefulness. Now, I've mentioned this before. Indiana Jones has a genius level IQ and it's his EQ in my previous point that I think really puts him over in this battle. He speaks over a dozen languages, including ancient Mayan. He deciphered hieroglyphics without using the Rosetta stone. If you need to know why that's impressive, seriously, look that up. It's crazy smart. And do all this is being able to survive against little God-level threats, figure out how to survive against insurmountable odds. It's crazy what he survived. He was MacGyver before MacGyver, except instead of using makeshift objects to create solutions, he would just observe the immediate area, the people within him, you know, within that area, and all of a sudden he's quickly figuring out what to do. He's resourceful. Stuff goes wrong for Indiana Jones all the freaking time, so he has to figure out on the fly what to do. In Rage of the Lost Ark, when the Nazis opened the Ark, the Last Testament and released that powerful spiritual energy that destroyed literally everything in the vicinity, Indiana Jones quickly figured out, hey, we need to close our eyes so the little power of the Lord's vengeance wouldn't kill us. He had to figure out at the last second how to survive the Lord's vengeance, and he did. After his father's mortally wounded Indiana Jones, uh, what's that first, that third movie, The Last Crusade, he has to make his way through a deadly path of traps to get that Holy Grail. That was awesome. And he's reciting various parts of the Bible and Holy Scripture from memory and trying to figure them out while he's making his way, avoiding one deadly trap after another, and he makes his way through, and then when he finally makes it, he has to find the right version of the Holy Grail, and he has to decipher ancient scripture again on the spot with no prep, and he does. He figures this all out. Look, well, again, he's fighting against that main villain from the Temple of Dune movie, Molaram. He survives that initial attack uh, from Molaram, who's trying to, and he does it by invoking the name of Shiva, which causes the stones Molaram was after to glow red hot. They burn through Indy's, you know, gas mask, satch- gas mask satchel. That was holding them. Two of them fall out. Molaram tries to catch a third, burns his hand, falls from a bridge in the river. To his, I mean, this is the whole thing. He figures this stuff out at the last second because that's what he does. Again, on the spot, Indy figures out how to invoke the name of Shiva. Who does that? I'll tell you who. Someone who has that genius level IQ and EQ, who reads people, who knows everything went wrong, but hey, I still got to figure this out, and he does. How many fights has he been in where he's used his environment or some aspect of that circumstance to get the win? At least dozens of them. So why is this important in this battle? Let me cut to the chase. It's because unlike the Scarecrow, when things go wrong, which they typically do for the Scarecrow, Indiana Jones knows how to roll with the punches, figure out how to navigate this unfamiliar territory or situation, and then he prevails. Indiana Jones kind of has a similar approach to fighting the Scarecrow that Batman does. Look, is Indiana Jones Batman? No. But can he roll with the punches? Can he take punishment? Can he overcome fear stuff, fear-inducing stuff? Yes, he's done it before. And can he make a horrible situation work for him where he prevails at the end and defeats or kills the enemy? Yes, this is something he does all the time. And again, someone 
who does this all the time, like Batman. Scarecrow has an insanely hard time against any member of the Bat family. Indiana Jones is at least a level, low-level member of the Bat family. Now, the Scarecrow, on the other hand, he falls completely apart when his plan doesn't go well. We've seen this a million times. This is something he's known for. The Scarecrow was the first supervillain that Dick Grayson ever fought when he first became Robin. As, as a kid, even Dick Grayson saw that the best way to beat the Scarecrow was just throw a monkey wrench into his plan. Not defeat him, just throw a monkey wrench into his plan, make something go wrong, make it go off the rails even slightly, and the Scarecrow completely falls apart and doesn't have a backup plan and doesn't have a way to figure this out. He's not resourceful whatsoever. Now, if you do that to Indiana Jones, he's just most likely going to come up on the fly with something crazy that worked way better than his original plan. That's why he wins this fight, amongst many other reasons. That's my point number two. You actually just sat there and said that Indiana Jones would be a member of the Bat family. The guy who you referred to as a skilled brawler you think is on a level with Nightwing, Tim Drake... Batwoman. In certain areas, Indiana Red Jones. Hood. In certain areas, Indiana Jones is the other definitely. Robin. In certain areas, Indiana Jones is absolutely the equivalent of certain members of the Bat family. That I other, will go. Other Robin, please, James. This is an outrage. You are absolutely talking silly. The other thing that I want to say here is that you argue that, like, oh, when Ray says things, the judge has to put it together to make it work. Yet here you are saying he's really good with environmental areas, and then you didn't really give any examples uh, at all to defend your point. You're literally doing the thing you accuse me of doing by forcing the judge to do all the emotional labor of putting your point together for you by hoping that our judge, Matthew Harris, remembers environmental stuff that Indiana Jones does and not providing any examples yourself. Outrageous you would come with such a weak set of arguments. And you said, oh, Indiana Jones is a slight tolerance because he he felt fear once before. But this is a thing that fear toxin that works on Batman, who not only could build up a tolerance, would go back to his lab and study it. But yet Scarecrow keeps it working on him again and again and again and again please he has a tolerance one of the silliest things you're ever going to say on this show and Raiders of the Lost Ark let's just keep it real if Indiana Jones wasn't there the exact same series of events happens the Nazis find the Ark they all melt the end Indy had no effect on the plot whatsoever I would argue there's no story that Scarecrow's in where he has no effect on the plot whatsoever uh, sometimes I wish I lived in whatever world you live in, Ray, would make things a lot easier. All right, we're at the turning point. We're after hearing two points from Ray and myself. Matt tells us who's ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Matt has to say, let's celebrate the Hoodwin Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Hoodwin Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today we have a special patron, a newer one to the Patreon. And I want to say, first off, thank you for joining. We have GP Turtle. For the first time in the Patreon Battle Patron of the Week. Wow, GP Turtle. Okay, I got it. Let's have GP Turtle go up against, why not, Animal from the Muppets. Animal from the... That is a very challenging, you know, having uh, both won with Animal on the show and defeated Animal on the show. I think I'm an expert to talk about this character in that Animal's wild. Animal has a fighting style that can't really be contained, a strength, a rage. I can only compare him favorably to the Tasmanian Devil from the Looney Tunes. And so when Animal gets going on his drums or gets going, he gets excited, he gets amped. I think perhaps Animal might be a little neurodivergent. I will go ahead and put that theory out there. An Animal is going to start wrecking things, walls, curtains, everything. And GP Turtle... He's going to sit back at GP Turtle, a couple things you need to know about him. One, he doesn't move slow, but he moves with power, with promise. 
And he also relies a lot on an AI, a GPT, if you will, in order to tell him what to do. So he feeds animal into his GPT unit, which he keeps like in his little like Google glasses that he wears at all times. And all it tells him to do is raise your right hand, raise your left leg slowly. So animal comes as a whirlwind towards him. He throws up the right hand, blocks like seven or eight attacks, lifts his left leg. Animal trips over it, falls off the stage into the orchestra pit and goes down for the count. GP turtle, AI did it for you. You won this fight. See, this is what I've been talking about. Instead of being against AI, we should embrace it and let it you know, be a tool to help us kind of do cool things like beating uh, Animal from the Muppets in a Who Would Win contest. Congratulations, GP Turtle. That was a well-done battle. Great job. Now, remember, you two can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Now, back to the turning point. Matt, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? This is very exciting. This is a very exciting battle right here. I, when I heard what it was going to be about, I was like, ooh, it's going to really come down to some serious finer points. And now we're, we're seeing that happen. Here's what I'm seeing right now. You, you went for the both of you, I thought, interestingly enough, focused on a key strength. I mean, you mentioned others, but there was really mostly a key strength of each character. Scarecrow... Uh, there were a lot of things mentioned, uh, the fear toxins being the, the, the big strength. And then with Indiana Jones, it's that, it's that quick thinking. It's that, it's that, that ability to just to figure it out. I mean, look, you didn't mention this, but just as a judge, what I'm, I'm even, I'm going to call that almost a bit of a luck advantage. Like if this were D and D, this character would be assigned with a luck bonus, right? That, that there, uh, and I think about the movies, I think about things like that, you know, there are plenty of things where he does something and then he reaches in and he grabs his hat just before his arm gets crushed. This this character has some luck to it. All right. This is some of that pluckiness that 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 gets talked about. What I will say for where we are, though, and what this last round showed me. I'm going to tell you first and I'm going to explain it. I'm going to say Scarecrow is ahead right now. And this is what and this is what what it is. Yes, Indiana Jones has shown uh, he has been able to, you know, that he's been able to deal with some fear. Uh, you know, he's he's been able to deal with a couple of things. And yes, there was some mind control that was mentioned in Temple of Doom, you know, that that he he got out of. Didn't get out of it by Moxie. Uh, he didn't figure his way out of it, but but that you know that could have possibly there's an argument that it could have helped him at least not be paralyzed by fear with the snakes. But when you're talking about a fear toxin, we're talking about the effects that fear can have on a person. Yes, James brought up the point that Scarecrow's not carrying around all fear toxins with him at all the time, but when he has toxins that can either paralyze someone with fear, enrage them to the point that they're not making sense anymore, or create hallucinations, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, regardless of your genius IQ, when you go from that reasoning brain into the lower functioning brain, that lizard brain, that the adrenaline fear response brings about, you're going to have a really hard time trying to figure anything out in that last moment, even with a luck roll. It, it seems like, like the advantages are not on your side. So here's what I need to see. What I need to see from Dr. Jones is I need to see 
some kind of something that's going to convince me that under that under uh, being hit with this toxin that you could either breathe in or that can be absorbed under your skin. What is he going to do to throw that monkey wrench into the uh, scarecrow's plan to have it unravel for him? And then to bring home the, the, the win for scarecrow, what I need to see is how then, because, because scarecrow's been here before. James mentioned it. He's been here before where he's got his toxins, he's got some, and then something gets thrown into his plan and then it's game over. All right. He does not rule Gotham. That is, that is known with all of these. So what, is, what can Scarecrow do to hammer that nail in the coffin and say lights out for Dr. Jones? That's what I want to see in round three for both of these characters. Copy that. All right. Now, here's the thing. This is why I love having uh, someone like Matthew Harris on the show, because he absolutely nails it in terms of how this fight has to go down, where we are, and what has to happen in order for one of these two people to win. It's almost like you've given us a game plan. Definitely gave me a game plan, which I really love. All right, Ray, it's come down to this. Let's even get the win. Hit us for your point number three. You know, I actually agree with you. And I think that actually the luck factor for Indiana Jones versus Scarecrow, he is a much luckier character. I see it a lot like the battle of James versus myself in that I have to meticulously plan all of my points, figure out what James is going to say, and then have my counterpoints ready to go while James just sort of runs it around, snapping his whip and guns at random directions. And then occasionally he gets lucky and lands a killing blow. And that's exactly how I see this battle. So this has really transcended Indiana Jones versus Scarecrow and really become about James versus myself making it as if it needed to be that much more personal. Let me tell you about my point number three. I just call putting it together because what happens when Indiana Jones gets scared? He runs. Do we all remember the scene very famous in the movie when he sees a whole bunch of natives with bow and arrows on the horizon and he has to run across like fields and forests and he has to try to get to that plane and the plane's about to take off? Indiana Jones is terrified. He feels like he's going to get overwhelmed and outnumbered by a whole bunch of people with bow and arrows. So his only action isn't to fight them, isn't to overcome, it's to get away. And that's the core of who Indiana Jones is. He's a runner. So if the fear toxin when the fear gas actually affects him, he might see a whole bunch of giant snakes, a whole bunch of natives, you know, from a village that he robbed coming after him. So what's he going to do? He's going to run. He doesn't stand and fight in those situations. He runs. And when it talks about physical abilities, Indiana Jones, skilled brawler, Remember when uh, James said that? Not trained, per se, very well. Skilled brawler. Well, it turns out that Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow, is actually a good martial artist. He actually is a martial artist in the Crane style, get it? And he refers to it as violent dancing. It's a, it's a fighting style that uses his long arms and legs and his reach to his advantage, allowing him to land shots at a distance if he needs to in fisticuffs. He has a few times slapped around Batman in actual fights. My favorite being they were in a death trap together and Batman was trying to figure out how to get out of it. And Scarecrow just started whooping on him and Batman didn't even really try to fight back. He was too busy trying to think of how to get out of the situation. He's like, stop hitting me, Scarecrow. I'm trying to save us both. And Scarecrow didn't care. He kept fighting him because he's a fighter. That's who he is. But he's also a great chemist. I mentioned before he made an animal pheromone that he could throw at his enemy 
and allow birds to be attracted by the pheromone and cause like hordes of birds, like Alfred Hitchcock movie, to swoop down and attack his enemy. He's also hypnotized his enemies before into doing what he wants. Indiana Jones, no stranger to being hypnotized. If Scarecrow can hypnotize just by using words on somebody, surely Indiana Jones from the Temple of Doom, who has been hypnotized before, has no answer for it. And yes, thank you, Matt. I have it written down here. Uh, Mr. Matthew Harris, I, you already brought it up, but he needed help to get out of that hypnotism, didn't he? He needed to have water poured on him by a friend who he could then recognize. In a one-on-one encounter, he's not going to have those advantages. But the final thing to mention, when the Scarecrow is put under physical strain or duress, and maybe Indiana Jones pushes him to that point, he will transform into a 10-foot monster with giant claws called the Scare Beast. It's a thing that has happened lots of times in his history and is a known thing for Scarecrow to be. This is a monster who has super strength, tears through walls, can smash skulls with his hands, has been dumped with gunfire, so much gunfire from machine guns, rifles, and what have you, and he tanks it all, no problem. He was stabbed in the chest as the Scare Beast. It did absolutely nothing, and on top of it all, the Scare Beast can exhale more fear gas, so even if he runs out of ways to do it, if he gets pushed to his limit by Indiana Jones, he's going to turn into a 10-foot monster, exhaling fear gas. Indiana Jones is going to, at that moment, whether he gets hit by the gas or not, realize it's time to go, and he will run away, battlefield removing himself, because at the core of his character, Indy is a runner. And that's my point number three. Wow. Okay. Again, a lot to push back against. Look, he's been faced off against so many things where, wow, I got no hope. I've got this is the, the odds are insurmountable and he doesn't run. Again, when he fell into that, that pit of snakes that were every type of snake imaginable, they're crawling all over, whatever, a nightmarish situation. What did he do? Did he run? Did he like, get me out of here? Get me. No, no, no. He's like, I got to get this thing. I got to flash that light through that circle. We got to get this thing. He used that determination to overcome that fear in a nightmarish situation. Not going to work. The writers did a great job of saying, oh, Crane style Kung Fu, Jonathan Crane, let's put them together. It is a bad style. It's evidenced by something Ray just said. This person, the Scarecrow, using crane-style kung fu, is hitting Batman, and Batman's doing the equivalent of shooing away a little brother who's punching him in the back. Like, hey, I'm working on something. Quit it. That's not an effective fighting style. When someone's not even fighting back, and they still can just tank it easily while they're working on something else, yeah, you may need to take some more classes, just putting that out there. And finally, the Scare Beast. Well done, Ray. That's from a storyline in 2004. That's where this character named Dr. Linda Frilawa, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she secretly mutated the Scarecrow into this murderous creature called the Scare Beast. That was from a story arc in 2004. Not something he does all the time. Again, I love how you're going almost 20 years in the past to figure out that one thing he did. Doesn't count for this battle. Now, let me get to my point number three, and this is where we're going to put everything together. So let's talk about my point number three, Scarecrow's weaknesses. Indiana Jones' strength and his superpower and how this fight's going to go down. So in terms of weaknesses, Scarecrow's got a few more than you might realize. First of all, Scarecrow doesn't carry a lot of fear gases or toxins on him at any one time. I've already mentioned this before. He needs to time to prepare for a fight and to create something specific for the character he's fighting. This is something he does. This is something he's great at. He's masterful at it, but he doesn't have that time to prepare. This is him just being somewhere and maybe he's planning to fight someone else and all of a sudden, boom, he's in a fight with Indiana Jones. 
He's got his fear toxin, but he doesn't have something specific to take or to put into Indiana Jones' system. That's a thing. Now, as I previously mentioned, Scarecrow falls apart completely when his plan doesn't go according to plan. That's a thing. He's nowhere near as resourceful as Indiana Jones is when things fall apart. That is a fact. On top of that, he's physically a bad matchup. He's six feet tall, weighs a lean 140 pounds. Six feet tall, 140 pounds. To put that in context, I haven't weighed 140 pounds since I was 10 years old. He's not a great fighter. I mentioned that before. He's not super athletic, and his fighting style leads a lot to be desired. That's a fact. Now, in terms of strengths, Indiana Jones has a few, but it's Indiana Jones's instincts when he lets his, I think the right term is his lizard brain take over, and that's what gets him the win very often. Now, remember in Temple of Doom at the beginning of the movie, Indy is poisoned, and he's still fighting, even with the effects of the poison taking over. He's letting his instincts take over, and he's still fighting effectively, killing off the bad guys, doing what he has to do, and finally gets a hold of that poison, drinks it, and he was good. That was not Indy thinking clearly, because he couldn't because of the poison. That was his set of instincts helping him in that survival situation to be resourceful and still come out ahead, get the win, overcome the evildoers. That's something that's going to happen in this fight. But as I mentioned before, in addition to all this, it's my firm belief that Indian Jones actually has, wait for it, a superpower. He absolutely has a superpower. It's the superpower of, not pluckiness, but it's tied into that, survivability. So for example, he's been smashed around by a giant grizzly bear, then walked it off. That took place in those novels. In one of the video games of Indiana Jones, he got hit point blank by a flamethrower and nothing. He was fine, which means he kind of got out of the way last second, whatever. In one of the books, he went over a huge 200-foot waterfall took after taking a massive beating and just swam to shore and kind of walked it off. He was beat up a little bit, but he was able to survive it, no problem. He gets hit with a bullwhip that had just taken chunks out of a concrete wall and and was fine. He survives again. Mola Ram, that villain from Temple of Doom, trying to rip Indiana Jones's heart out, something he'd done before, and Indiana Jones survived it. And that same movie got poisoned, kept on fighting. That's what I referenced earlier. Uh, he took a sword to the head, a huge smash, and was fine. Uh, the sword didn't draw any blood whatsoever. And in the greatest feat of super survivability in the entire India, Indiana Jones franchise and lore, Indiana Jones survives the death trap known as a 1950s fridge by throwing himself into it and closing the door, not locking it because he didn't have a lock. He just had to hold it closed, which would be the death of anyone if you just put yourself into that fridge for about after a minute or so. And he did it to protect himself from a nuclear bomb blast that blasted the fridge hundreds of feet in the air and landed on the ground super hard. And Indiana Jones just got out and walked it off. Look, so here's how this fights go. They're going to face off. Indiana Jones, he's funny. He's going to make that funny comment about Scarecrow's horrible Halloween costume. Scarecrow's just going to go ahead and really throw that whatever kind of delivery system he has for his fear of toxin. He's definitely got that on him. And as the fear of toxin takes hold, Indiana's mind is filled with terrifying images. He sees himself trapped in a pit of venomous snakes, felt the ground crumble beneath him. He's dangling over a bottomless chasm, heard the chilling laughter of the Scarecrow echoing around him. But Indiana Jones was no stranger to fear. His instincts take over. He's faced countless dangers in his adventures from deadly traps to supernatural threats, interdimensional aliens, time travel from the latest movie, and drawing on his years of experience, letting that lizard brain kick in, he overcomes that fear. I'm not saying he understands what's happening, but he overcomes that fear and understands where the source is. That's the scarecrow. He's remembered the countless times he's had to face his craziest fears and survived, and slowly those terrifying images start to lessen. With his mind kind of becoming not clear, but a little bit more focused on the scarecrow, he springs into action just like he always does, even when poisoned, and scarecrow, you know, not physically imposing, some of the foes he had faced. Indiana Jones ignores all this craziness and uses his bullwhip, his quick full resourceful determines that bullwhip and whips him to disarm that gun whatever he's using the delivery system the fear toxin hits him with a big right cross which downs the scarecrow punches him again
again, takes him out, stands over him, still shaking from that fear thing, but now understanding he overcame a very villainous villain that would work great in Indiana Jones in any of his movies. This all together, put all this together, and this is why the Scarecrow loses. This is why Indiana Jones wins. That's my point number three. Is anyone out there actually buying that argument? Because I got a bridge to sell you if what James just said tracks in your mind. The idea that of all the characters, Batman, you know, Superman, the Joker, all of these characters, uh, Joker has a, like a toxin uh, immunity, right? Doesn't he? From like the acid and everything. The idea that Indiana Jones of all characters from fiction is the one that would get hit po point blank by the fear toxin and then just naturally shake it off with no help whatsoever and walk away is outrageous. That's asking you to make a, a leap of judgment beyond, I think, the pay grade of a single judge who's ever had the fortune of being on the Who Would Win show. And I can only hope this judge rejects that argument because it is outrageous. I remember when playing Fallout New Vegas with the Wild Wasteland perk on that one of the first Easter eggs you get is a fridge falling from the sky with a dead Indiana Jones inside and you can loot his hat. That's what should have actually happened, but he's lucky. He is lucky, and I will say this. I do believe Indiana Jones survives this encounter, but he survives it by running away. He's going to fight. I think he might get a few shots in, and he's going to take a few shots as well. They're going to go back and forth. Uh, let's face it, Scarecrow's unnerving. And Indiana Jones is finally going to get surprised with a blast of the fear gas one way or another, and he's going to start losing his mind. He's going to start seeing snakes everywhere. He's going to start seeing villagers on the horizon coming after him, and he's going to run. He, his whole thing in these heists that he does, and that's what they are. These are heists. He goes in, steals something, and gets out, right? He's not hanging around and fighting people if he could help it. He's going to get in, and as soon as Scarecrow shows him all these things he doesn't want to get to see, he's going to realize the odds are not in his favor, and he's going to get out, and Scarecrow will steal the object in question and walk away safely. This thing's over. Ring the bell. I got to tell you, it's an interesting uh, interesting you're saying. I, I kind of wish that you were the uh, one of the writers of Scarecrow in the uh, comic books. You would have made things a lot more interesting. All right, Matthew, you've heard three points from both Ray and myself, and it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process, tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Indiana Jones and the Scarecrow. Well, well, first, what I want to say is that is that coming to my decision today, I after round two, I really thought, okay, I think I know which way this is going to go. Now, after round three and hearing both of the points uh, uh, go back and forth, both of you actually, usually in my final judgment, I like to tell you a story. I like to give you the 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 play-by-play the -play of how this thing's going to go down. But I will say, honestly, both of you writ just wrote such a convincing uh, scene and wrote such a convincing movie that it's... It would be redundant of me to repeat my choice. Uh, I would. I'm basically just going to have to choose the best story. Now, uh, before I do that, let's let's just go back and and take a a little bit of a of a count of the things that we've seen here. Because what it really comes down to is, does Indiana Jones have the ability to? fight beyond his fear and the luck to figure something out that's just going to pull off the win? Or does Scarecrow have the goods to secure a win? Now, here's what I'm thinking in terms of a win. When Indiana Jones fights, what I will give for him is that Indiana Jones 
He's put in a lot of life-threatening situations. The man has a body count. Dr. Jones has got bodies, all right, underneath him. He's put down many a Nazi, and it wasn't just a unconscious knockout. Uh, one of his uh, uh, weapons is a revolver. He's even used his whip to deadly extents. I mean, I remember there was a movie where he ended up whipping it around a guy's neck and then tying him to a ceiling fan, the strongest ceiling fan in all of cinematic history, uh, because it supported the weight of a, of a man the entire time. Uh, one time I put my hand up to my ceiling fan and it completely took off one of the blades, but uh, they made them different back then. That's all I'll say. So Indiana Jones will fight to kill. Uh, Scarecrow, though, Scarecrow has, uh, now he's no stranger to, to, to killing people. The Scarecrow has definitely killed people. Scarecrow definitely likes, uh, he doesn't feel the fear. He likes to toy with his victims. He likes to, he, where he gets his juice is by watching them twist and writhe under this fear that he can no longer feel. That's where he gets a lot of his, of his juice. So this, you're going to get two guys that are fighting for different things here. Almost the way I see it, I see a combination of two of these stories happening. I see this artifact. Maybe they're, they're, they're going after the same relic or something. Indiana Jones, he knows how to talk. He sees that this guy isn't bright. He sees this is some, some ghoul or something like that now he's got the whip he's got a ranged weapon that can really you know if he see if the if the the scarecrow starts pulling out you know weapons or something like that boom we've seen this whip be able to take out something and you're you're, you're talking about this bull whip has got to be at least nine feet long i mean that thing has got some range on it you know kablam it could be hard for a, a scarecrow to to get off an initial shot I think if Indy uh, thinks he's safe, gets in, closes the distance, boom. At some point, he's getting hit, hit with this fear toxin. Scarecrow has faced down too many uh, good people, too many highly skilled people, and hit them with this fear toxin. That's going to happen. I think Indy goes for his revolver. He uh, uh, empties empties that, that six-wheel chamber. Boom, 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 boom. But by then, the fear toxin is set in. He empties it at smoke, and then he sees a bunch of snakes coming at him. And Indiana Jones, who is who is one of my favorite characters, I think is going to decide in that moment from what I've seen him do to live to fight another day. He's going to find his way out of there. He's going to figure out what to do uh, to get himself to safety so that then he can figure out how he's going to get that artifact back. I think that the only other way it could go would that Scarecrow would capture him. Now, we've never really dealt with that in Who Would Win Before. We've never said win by capture. We've never said, I mean, I guess if you're captured, that would make you incapacitated for more than two minutes because that's what you usually see with Indiana Jones. Actually, you've seen it in most of his movies. At some point, he gets captured and comes to later. So when I look at it, man, I love Indiana Jones. It's one of my favorite characters of all times. But I think... Uh, he either lives to fight another day, or he starts out captured. He would win later, but in the technicality of the who would win universe, that gives the win to Scarecrow. That's an interesting decision, and I got to tell you, I'm not saying I agree, but I see your logic. So I'm actually okay with the decision, even though I disagree with it, because you put it out so well. All right. Race to Canis. You got the win. Congratulations. You debated so much better than last week. Race to Canis. Tell the Legion of Audience how you feel. 
Look, of course I did a great job this week, and of course I did a great job last week. There's just sour grapes all over the place from James, and let me tell you, I appreciate sour grapes. Everyone knows that the low-hanging fruit is always the sweetest. And in the case of the sour grapes, it's the easiest to grab off of the tree. James, I don't want to compare you unfavorably to the brainless masses who interact with the show on social media, but you're really leaving me no choice once again. You got beat this week. You got beat last week. I'm going to continue to beat you like Animal from the Muppets beats a drum over and over again with reckless abandon. I absolutely deserved this win. It's the only decision a rational mind could come up with. And that's why I know when we have Matthew Harris on the show, future judge of the year as far as I'm concerned, that's what's going to happen. Logic will prevail over nonsense. Thank you, Matthew Harris, judge of the year. I'm just going to start the campaign right now. This, this, I'm telling every time, or I would say any time, I, I am forced to give the wind to Ray. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I've done something wrong. I do. I, I feel like I've done something wrong. However, I will say thank you. And, uh, and yes, I will uh, unashamedly uh, accept your campaign on my behalf for Judge of the Year. Well, here's the thing. I didn't listen to what Ray had to say. But, you know, the, the, what I was really focusing on, uh, Matthew Harris, was the story you told. And I'd love to actually see this as a live-action film because I actually do think the Scarecrow – what's so interesting to me is that the Scarecrow actually is a perfect villain for Indiana Jones, right? Absolutely he, agree. He would be like the, the second-in-command or like the Dassad to uh, Dark Side, so to speak. Yes. And then all of a sudden at the end, he'd emerge as the main villain, the main power, because he'd make the that who thought there was a, the Nazi in charge scared of everything, and then they would die. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm the real villain. And now Indiana Jones has to overcome all the traps that he got caught in, whatever, to then finally overcome his fear and take him out. So I actually love what you laid out. Disney, I hope you're listening. Make this happen, because this, you know, bring back a sixth Indiana Jones movie. This would be a great one. Uh, Matthew Harris, listen, I, I predict you're the person who's going to cause uh, SAG not to strike and to make the WGA uh, stop their strike as well because people will come to their senses because Matthew Harris has explained the logic of why the studio should offer more money, et cetera, et cetera, and everyone should come together and have a kumbaya moment. With that being said, well done today. We'd love to have you on the show. Please come back. And in the meantime, tell the Legion of Audience where they can find you online. You can find me at It's Matt Harris Graham on the Instagram. Uh, that, it, or you can just go to my website and see what I got going on. Uh, there will be mentions, especially now that I know I'll be able to talk about it, of Reclaim Detroit. Actually, so look for that. That'll be coming out uh, uh, soon. Dates pending, but if you listen to this show, you will definitely get those dates. Uh, and check me out on itsmattharris.com. Fantastic. All right, Ray, tell our listeners where they can find you. You can obviously find me on Threads. Just look for Almighty Ray 316. I'm giving up with Twitter. I'm still going to be there. I'm still going to have interaction, but I've seen what that horrible website that used to be good has become, and I'll be the first person to say I'm going to threads. I absolutely deserve to win this week. I deserve to win every week, and it's always good to stave off for at least seven days that feeling of hollowness. It's like I get hit with fear toxin, and all I see is losing to James Gavsey on the Who Would Win show. I've been able to overcome that once again. And now all I have to do is stare at the calendar for seven straight days and know that it's just time again to do it next week. Find me on threads. 
Almighty Ray 316. Just emailed Disney telling them that they should hire Matthew Harris as the new uh, president of all creative. I just oh, think Matthew. I'm, I'm on board. With yeah, I'll I just think Matthew should be absolutely. You should be in charge. I just think you should be in charge. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavsey. Remember to join the official Hoodwin Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Racy Canis, and the rest of the amazing Hoodwin production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Kevin Goatee. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel. We host Gutting the Sacred Cow, the best and most unique movie debate podcast out there. Why? Because we invite our guests to pick a film that they find overrated or hate and try to convince us to see their argument. They must pick a film that is a financial success, widely beloved, or critically acclaimed. That's right. Some of the films our guests have tried to eviscerate, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters? You can find us on all podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And if you want to watch our smiling faces, we're also on YouTube. Guttingthesacredcow.com is where you find all of our information. And we look forward to our guests infuriating you when they attack your favorite films. Hey, gang. I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins.